All right, take two. Hopefully this this devotion has better video quality than the last one. If it doesn't, then it must be my internet connection um, where I'm at. But typically, the internet connection is not so bad here. So uh, when some of you come back, let me know if, uh, if the video connection is okay um, <clears throat> when you get on. So as I was beginning to say, we're today discussing Job's response to his friends suggestions about why it is he's suffering and going um, going through what he's going through. Uh, and so uh, first his his friend uh, Eliphaz pretty much gives him the prosperity gospel message. And then his friend Bildad gives him the legalistic preaching um, in chapter 8. And he ends his speech by saying, Behold, God will not reject a blameless man nor take the hand of evil, evildoers. <clears throat> well, Job takes note of that, and today we're going to go over at least some of his response to the statement. Sorry for the video quality, I don't know why it is, uh, but we'll keep going here as long as you guys are able to listen through the fuzzy, fuzzy picture that you got on your end. So let's read chapter 9 together. It says, Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? You hear what Job is saying. Job is extolling the mighty power of God. And yet he's also acknowledging that God doesn't seem to be using that power for his good. He continues, verse 13, God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering. For I know you will not hold me innocent. 
I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man, as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There, was, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. Here ends the reading of chapter 9. Well, that's a powerful passage, and the reason I decided to read all 35 verses of it is because it really does show the honest expression of Job in the moment about God. Uh, to some extent, he's, he's actually going to battle with God in, with his words because he feels that no matter what he does, no matter how he tries to defend himself, God is so powerful and so mighty that God can find any reason he wants to continue his suffering. So Job is really despairing and really struggling. And through his despair and through his words, there's a few ways I think we see in this passage Job seeks to deal with, or at least try to, uh, make his defense before God. Uh, the first you can see pretty clearly in verses 20 through 26 is he, he really tries to stick up for himself. And certainly that is our natural proclivity too when we go through suffering, right? I mean, when faced with the reality of our sin or our failures, we, we really do have the great tendency to either try and make light of our failures, you know, we, we find ways to kind of minimize what we've done, or on the other end, we may make a list of all the things that we do that at least aren't that bad. I mean, we, we, we're, this is what, we're all prone to wanting to defend ourselves, and Job certainly is not immune from this. It's, uh, as Friedrich Nietzsche uh, once said, quote, my memory says, you did this. My pride says, I cannot have done this. Eventually, my memory yields. One of my favorite quotes, because it's oh, so true about how often we tend to live. And so Job considers doing this in verse 20. He says, I am in the right. I am blameless. He repeats that word, I am blameless, multiple times. And yet it would appear that way in this case. I mean, it would appear that way. His suffering has not come upon him for anything he's done. Nevertheless, Job ends up tossing this possibility for making himself right before God because he says, quote, though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. So in other words, Job is saying, though I don't know that I've done anything to bring this suffering upon me, contrary to his friends that are saying, you know, he's done something, man. Job is like, I, I truly can't think of anything I've done that would bring this suffering upon me. But nevertheless, if I was to stand before a holy and righteous God, he would show, he would show that my mouth is unclean and he would prove me to be perverse in his sight. And so as much as it's tempting for us to want to stick up for ourselves in the midst of suffering and difficulty, in the midst of uh, struggle, I think we do have to ultimately toss this to the side when we consider coming before God as well. Otherwise, it becomes like the Twinkie defense, you know. 
Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Twinkie defense, but back in the 80s, some guy tried to defend himself by saying that Twinkies had given him such a sugar rush that it caused him to commit a crime. Uh, and, and surely that can be the way we look before God when we try to stand up for ourselves in the midst of struggling and difficulty. God's like, you don't even know what I, <laughs> you don't even know what you don't know about yourself. I know you more intimately, so don't you dare try to come to me with your defenses of why you're so righteous or why you're so deserving of my mercy. Well, incidentally, you see this played out in the New Testament also. In the Sermon on the Mount, or close to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says near the end that there is a group of people that will come to him and they will say this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, do you hear what they're doing? They are sticking up for themselves, bringing up the checklist of all the good things they had done. But what does Jesus say? As they seek to appeal to all their goodness, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart, me, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So yeah, I don't think that we can be made right before God by trying to um, plead our own righteousness. It's just not going to work, folks. Well then, perhaps, perhaps we can do it by positive thinking. That seems to be something of what Job at least considers in verse 27. Listen to what he says. I will forget my complaint. I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. In other words, this is Job saying, all right, I, maybe I just need to turn that frown upside down, sad clown. I need to make sure that I put a, put a positive spin on this thing. And yes, of course, we're prone to trying to do the same thing. We want to try and patch a smiley face on and tell ourselves over and over and over again that it's fine, everything's fine. And we become like that dog in the meme that's surrounded by fire and eventually melts saying, this is fine, this is fine, everything's fine. And of course, in our culture, positive thinking is huge. It's so, so, so popular. I mean, you Google the, the words positive thinking, you're going to find 40 million results on Google. 40 million results for positive thinking. And indeed, I mean, there's a part of this that can be good for us. I mean, it's not necessarily all bad. It may even at times cause us to pause and get some perspective about an issue if we try to think about some positive that can possibly come out of it. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. But, but the discussion here is how to be right with God. And in that regard, again, no amount of positive thinking and positive speech will do the trick. It's just not the way it works. We can't pretend our way into right relationship with God. Positive thinking about our situation doesn't change the situation before a holy and righteous God. We are still sinners in need. <clears throat> uh, back in the 70s, there was a popular book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And it was really all about this positive thinking stuff and a Lutheran seminary professor decided to assign his class that book for reading and then cha uh, charge them to give a review. And one of the students, instead of writing a review, drew a picture. And it was a picture of Jesus agonizing on the cross, and next to his mouth was a little thought bubble that said, hey, if I'm okay and you're okay, what the heck am I doing up here? 
indeed. If we try to paper over our problems with just positive thinking, then essentially we eliminate the need for a Christ who was crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he had to suffer an awful lot in order to bring the forgiveness we need. So we can't just assume we're right with God just because we wish it so. And Job realizes this too, so he eventually says, If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. So he realizes this too. I mean, so this is a chapter where Job is sort of tossing out these different ideas. You know, he's just tossing out uh, possible ways of trying to, trying to bring his case before a holy God. And so in verses 29 through 31, he, he basically comes up with a case of trying to clean himself up. He wants to fix himself. So look at verse 30. He says, perhaps I can, quote, wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye. This is the uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps option. It's certainly uh, what we tend to do around New Year's Eve every year with our resolutions. It's our default mode, but again, it fails to acknowledge a couple things. Number one, God's expectations are for complete perfection. We don't get the, the option just to start over one day. That's not the way this works. I mean, God, uh, we literally, if we're going to try and stand before a holy God, we can't just have a record of good for, you know, from this point forward, I promise. No, no, that's not the way it works. It's literally from, from conception <laughs> all the way through. But the second problem with it, of course, is that it assumes we'll actually be able to clean ourselves up for the future. And the truth is we don't, and we can't do it on our own. I remember seeing the story of Samuel Johnson on the Liberate uh, website years ago. And it's one of my favorite illustrations of just how, <laughs> how much we struggle to really clean ourselves up. And at the time, uh, Samuel Johnson of 1738, really, really, really wanted to repent of his tendency to laziness. And so he resolved to move forward with different habits. And so in his diary entry from 1738, he spells out really a pretty simple prayer to God asking for the ability to do just that. He says, quote, O Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. So Samuel Johnson has repented. Or had he? <laughs> in a diary entry from 1757, 19 years later, he writes, Almighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time misspent in idleness and sin by diligent application of the days yet remaining. All right, so he's serious now. Uh, 1759, diary entry, enable me to shake off idleness and sloth. 1761, I have resolved until I have resolved that I'm afraid to resolve again. 1764, my indolence since my last reception of the sacrament has sunk into greatest sluggishness. My purpose is from this time to avoid idleness and to rise early. 1764, he resolves to rise early, not later than six, if I can. 1765, 
I purpose to rise at eight, because though I shall not rise early, it will be much earlier than I now rise, for I often lie until two. 1769. I am not yet in a state to form any resolutions. I purpose and hope to rise early in the morning by eight and by degrees at six. 1775. When I look back upon resolution of improvement and amendments which have year after year been made and broken, why do I yet try to resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. So he resolves again to rise at eight. 1781, three years before his death. I will not despair. Help me, help me. Oh my God. Job recognizes that even his best efforts at cleaning himself up will not cut it. So he says, if I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, my own clothes will abhor me. Still not enough. So then, what? Well, we come to the end of the chapter, and finally, 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 Job hints at exactly what he needs to be right with God. And it turns out he knows we need an arbiter, a mediator. Job says, for he is not a man, as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Ah, but what Job doesn't know at the time, we know now that the good news for him and for us is that indeed for us to stand right before God, an arbiter is there to put hands between God and ourselves. Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus Christ is the mediator, the arbiter of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Why can he be our arbiter that lays his hand on both God and man? Because he is the God man. So Hebrews goes on. Jesus' death has occurred to redeem sinners from their transgressions. 1 John 2 says it this way, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save, to make us right before God, to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he, quote, always lives to make intercession for us. Right now, your arbiter stands between you and God, always making a perfect case. That is ultimately Job's answer to standing before God and your answer to standing before God. It's simply, I think, echoed well by Gerhard Verdi, who says, our response is really just to be a receiver. Quote, to be a receiver, to believe that the gift is complete, is to be right with God. And at some point in his thinking, Job 
apparently does begin to recognize that there is some mediator there for him. Because if you skip ahead just a few chapters to chapter 19, he writes these words, or he says these words. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. So, friends, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your struggle, don't look to yourself or to your own resources to try and deal with it. But look to the arbiter. Look to the mediator who stands between you and God, always interceding on your behalf out of great love for you. All right, gang. That's it for this Tuesday. I hope you're encouraged in the faith. I hope you have a great week. And God bless you.